Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is the man who created the second most published image in the history of the world. <laughs> I kind am of the a loser on that one. Sorry to tell I, you. And no one, no one remembers second place. No. Like, first place, last place. You remember those. If I created the least reproduced image in the history of the world, you don't right, remember yeah, ever. <laughs> wait, wait. But that would be a really hard title to win because, like, I imagine there's a lot that have only ever been produced the one time. <laughs> I, I, I'm i going to say I, I believe that's a stat I read. I'm 99% sure that The Great Wave is oh, the, great wave the is most almost, published almost the most published image in the history of the world. Yeah, uh, it's either that or the poster to Reservoir Dogs. Before we get into the movies this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. If you want to support us uh, monetarily, and we greatly appreciate it, just a dollar a month over there gets uh, you access to a bonus episode. It's always a non-Criterion film, though at least once it has been a film that later got into the Criterion collection. Uh, but That's going to keep happening, let's be clear. It, uh, yes, yes. As we said a couple weeks ago... Uh, Eventually, Criterion will grow enough that all films are part of the Criterion Collection, and uh, and there'll be one box set of all films. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, just a thousand dollars every movie ever made. <laughs> I I like how you really lowballed it. Oh yeah, thousand dollars for absolutely. every movie ever made in the history of mankind. Yeah. Uh it's really it's not even. <laughs> It's not even the daunting task of watching every movie ever made. It's it's all the supplemental material that'll really get you. <laughs> right. Oh, God. <laughs> and all somehow fit on one Blu-ray. That's wild. Technology marches on. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. If you, uh, you want to go that route, as I said, we greatly appreciate it. You get access to that bonus episode each month. You get access to the entire back catalog of bonus episodes and you get to help vote on what movie we're going to watch for that bonus episode as well. Uh, I put together a little list, uh, often inspired by films we've watched recently or general happenings in the world. Uh, sometimes I outsource that and let our Patreon supporters put together the list. Uh, and that's that's always fun, too. Um, but we've watched some really great movies, some really terrible movies over there. And it's always, always fun over there. Uh, so much more fun than this actual podcast we do. Uh, <laughs> wow. No, no. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I really don't know how to respond to that. Frankly. I kid, of course, because it's basically the same thing, just a different set of movies. Just different movies, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Um, also over there for a little extra $5 a month, we'd like to thank those people on air. So thank you to Christopher Otto and to Adam Spickerman for your continued $5 supports. Uh, a little above that, we do something pretty great, I think. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently, and I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little thank you note and mail that off to you. Uh, we also like to thank those guys on air, so thank you to Michael McGrath and Jason Westhaver for your support at that level. Yes, Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion if you want to get involved. If you, uh, if you can't afford to, uh, but you still want to support us, uh, why don't you go ahead and give us a review on iTunes? Uh, we don't read we those. We promise we won't read it. Yeah, we we never will. But five star reviews uh, apparently help us in iTunes ranking I've been told. system. I've been. Told. I would like. I would like to point out that um, I wonder if we. I realize that one of the only reviews we ever read stopped me from saying the word weird a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe. And I kind of wonder if. We would get value out of reading our reviews. <laughs> That's not going to happen, but I no, mean. probably not. This week we are finishing up the three films by Hiroshi Teshigahara uh, box set with four more films by Hiroshi Teshigahara. Yes, uh, we are. The uh, we've spent the last three weeks talking about the three main films uh, in the uh, in that collection, uh, which were all 
collaborations between Tasha Gahara and uh, writer uh, Kobo Abe. Uh, also included on the box set are these four short films that are uh, a sort of uh, sampling of a decade and a half, well, I guess just a decade of Teshigahara's work. Yeah. Uh, most of them documentaries. basically. Yes. Yeah. Uh, most of them documentaries, one of them narrative, uh, but uh, just very... You can see hints of what we've seen, but these are mostly very, uh, very disconnected, very different things to what. Well, uh, what's interesting the about them is that they just bracket watched. the movies we've watched essentially. Um, yes, like the the first two movies we're going to talk about predate any of the work we watched, right? Uh, pretty substantially, absolutely. And then. Oh, well, sorry, the first three, three of them, in fact. Three of them yeah. predate. And then and then one of them happens right sort of in the middle. Yes. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, that's accurate. Uh, it's, it's interesting. We talked, I think, briefly, maybe during uh, Pitfall, uh, when we were covering sort of uh, biographical information about Tasha Gahara, that... Uh, his father ran a um, an Ikebana school, a flower arrangement school. I mean, a very, a very, very famous one. <laughs> a very, very famous one that Teshigahara ended up running himself on his father's death uh, in uh, the late 70s. Uh, and that took him away from making movies. And then when he came back, uh, at least we are told, there is a marked difference between the sorts of things he was making in film, between what he did before that and after, uh, stylistically and also ideologically, from what I've read. I have not watched any of the films he's produced after. And right. given that these four short films are on this box set, I'm betting we're never going to watch a Tesha Gahara film again in the Criterion Collection. I think you're right, yeah. Because they're throwing pretty much everything at us. (laughs) Well, it might be neat to watch uh, The Man Without a Map. That would be a... Yeah. Does sound kind of interesting. And Summer Soldiers as well sounds fairly interesting, uh, but um, I don't know. Those are... They could potentially be in the collection. They are sort of... They seem to be sort of the last throws of his more political work. Oh wait, we do have we do have one more. I completely forgot about. We actually have a a documentary from him, um Antonio Gotti. Oh, uh, okay. on the yeah. Italian uh Italian architect. Um but yeah, which uh was put out I think in 86 if I remember correctly. 84. Yeah. Uh so that would be post um we will yeah, get one and, and... one post that time in his life. Right. We'll we'll find out. Yeah. Unfortunately, as a documentary, it may it may be a little less telling than uh, yeah. And relatively re- relatively soon, in fact, uh, only six months from now, we'll be watching. Oh, that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so um, it'll be interesting actually to to consume these films just as a balance against what he does with a full length documentary in '84 as opposed to this work from Well, uh, from right. The 50s. I mean, I assume that documentary must be more uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, more not NHK documentary special. Yeah. Yeah. Like right, because it's a full length. I mean, this the first two in this feel very I got paid by <laughs> right. the Essentially, the Japanese equivalent of PBS to make this documentary about Hokusai. Like, right here we go right. to uh, to the point where it may not be uh, useful for us to talk about. I each don't. Of these I don't actually separately. think it is honestly. Yeah. Um, but we can run through it real quick. Yeah, we, you and I were talking briefly before we started recording about the fact that it does address uh, Hokusai's life and sort of yeah. political leanings and uh, him being very much. You know, famous for a few different things, but uh, I mean, obviously, his most famous work, but it's also famous uh, for uh, certain art trends that uh, right that right. he sort so, of started 
one of the first Japanese uh, woodblock printers to focus on the lives and daily life of real normal Japanese workers, regular Japanese people. Right, um, which is one thing I think Hokusai uh, from 1953, uh, just to make that explicit. Uh, one thing I see, uh, you know, reflective in Toshigahara's own work is the <coughs> the uh, the focus on low level people, right? Right, of... and, and the thing we were kind of chit chatting about is the fact that that's really going to be hard for one of the reasons why it's almost not worth spending a lot of time on that is because that's almost impossible to separate from the mainstream commentary on Hokusai. Like, like that's in every biography written about him. Right. Like, so it's like, well, okay, well, is that, is that Tishikahara or is that just literally the source material? This is completely boilerplate. Right. This is the most plain Jane. Yeah. And which is not to say it's a bad thing because I was like, huh, I could show this to my class. Right. (laughs) I was like, I was watching. I'm like, this is, I could replace my like woodblock print at like lesson with, uh, with this documentary from 1953, and it would be fine. I could just not do yeah. anything. That like, it would be. It, it covers the same the points that you always get. Like, uh, it covers the fact that like he he sort of shows Japan from the outside, which was a rare perspective. It, rather than being in, internal, it does. Fe- he did feature scenes of Japan as viewed from the outside rather than the inside, sort of portraying yeah. the idea that there is some wider world that exists beyond Japan's borders. These are all very standard observations about Hokusai and, and, and valuable ones. I mean, um, you know, it even gets into the fact that like he died poor and alone. Right. As so many great artists do. Right. Like, right. Um, it, it's just, I don't know. It, it's a good documentary in the sense that like you could show it to any right. set of school children in Japan and teach them about Hokusai. Right. To the fact a that you decent job. You actually want to do that, you know? Yeah, it's <laughs> so, a thing I would like right. to do. I'm like, huh, right. this is pretty good, right? the uh, The second one in the box set is similarly boilerplate documentary. It, uh, it is, but it's a little bit tweaked. It's not. It's a little as bit tweaked straight down the line. It's a little bit tweaked because of nepotism. No, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to dismiss it. Well, no, much. that's that is probably is true. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the uh, second one, but, Ikebana from 1956, is uh, about Toshigahara's father's flower school. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. But because his father was such an innovator and sort of wild card in, the, right. in such a traditional artist space, it becomes a, a kind of a fairly interesting viewpoint on sort of like modern interpretations of classical art forms. Right, uh, and and in that was fascinating. It was it was an interesting watch. I couldn't show it to my class because it's not representative of the way generally Ikebana is understood and seen. Right. Uh, it's important to understand that while there are innovators in these sort of spaces, it, they mix things up, but then it sort of settles back down to the base level, pretty much. You know what I mean? Like most Ikebana still just looks like Ikebana. Yeah, like, and that's you know what I mean. Like. Right. And maybe as as a documentary on Ikebana, period, maybe this it's not fails. Useful. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. useful um, because it is about his dad's school where innovation and individuality are commended and encouraged. Um, right. And it, no, one, no one takes themselves too seriously. And that's also encouraged. Um, we also get some out of the whole set here. Some of the most innovative camera work and and filmmaking, yeah, out of any sure. in what happens here. We have some sort of stop motion things and some still image building on top of each other as we watch people build. Uh, yeah, those pieces. are really neat scenes. They're real fascinating. Yeah. and like, and keep in mind, like, yeah, it's it's an interesting movie, and like, and it and it's fascinating because. If you were to pair it with a traditional, like a video that is a sort of traditional representation of what Ikebana is, you would see the, the a very fascinating through line, right? Because like Ikebana is about personal expression right. of your view of nature and the way it you the way it works and the way it's supposed to be, uh, and these are very fascinating sort of extensions of that to the sort of extreme maximum. Uh, so in that sense, it is very fitting, and 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 you just you would have to give somebody some. 
I, I'm basically describing to myself what kind of class I would have to make around <laughs> right, this video, right, right. which is yeah. like I would have to set some sort of base <laughs> level to start with. Right. Um, but yeah. Right. Um, I also really like the sequence where uh, that's introduced as some mischievous daydreaming uh, where they superimpose fairly elaborate Ikebana uh, over uh, into the into the real world. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, acting as a neon sign in downtown Tokyo, acting uh, rotating on top of what appears to be a government building in a neoclassical style. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, one displayed as if it is a bronze sculpture in a park. Uh, that that everyone sort of has no idea what to make of, <laughs> right? Well, and the fascinating thing about it is, is that that in that in that sense, that is probably the most sort of out there thing in this movie. In the in that like the way he sort of tries to show a com- a direct comparison between this sort of n- sort of neo ikebana with like with you know the way the world is actually right constructed and things like that uh you know throwing it on top of a of government building is definitely right. trying to very very mildly make a point kind of thing right um right. comparing it with neon signs and stuff again is probably very mildly trying to make a point but this is this is early days yeah uh and i was also fascinated you know i don't know a lot about ikebana i'm i'm a complete outsider to to that uh so I was also interested in in just watching the individuality and the and the group projects come together, mm-hmm. uh, to to each be unique. And then the the short sequence on uh, the sort of micro ikebana that they talk about young people being interested in, where it's just a single flower and a single other thing, you know. Yeah. Um. As a uh, as a deconstructed art form, that's very interested interesting to me too. Uh, so I was very well, interested in a lot of what was going on here. You, I mean, you would. I think you would enjoy like some more expansive documentaries on Ikebana. Is a really fascinating art form. It's not one yeah. I engage in because I just don't have the wherewithal to even start. <laughs> yes, uh, but like it is, it is a my you know is a really fascinating art form uh, with a lot of rules and structure it, as. As a sort of a general observation, the way a lot of these kind of art forms work, there's a lot of rules and structures that you learn so that you can break them. Uh, you know what I mean? And, and it can be very fascinating as as a sort of personal artistic expression uh, that I like a lot. I mean, it's very nice to look at. Like, you, you know, anytime you go to any major, like, traditional building or anything like that, there's going to be Ikebana on display. And it's always very fascinating to look at. So Yeah. Um, even from my very, very novice viewpoint. Uh, but, yeah. Right. right. I found a hobby for you is what I'm saying. Adam. You should start doing <laughs> Ikebana. I think you'd I'm like probably, it a it, it's, I don't have a lot of time for hobbies, even well, even you, one you weekend know, a month, uh, yeah. a couple hours right. on Sunday. Two weeks a year. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also, the, the uh, toward the end, there's a sequence uh, that starts with a human skull and then devolves into various abstracted uh artistic representations of human skulls that i found to be very interesting too uh yeah. not necessarily to ikebana though i mean yeah, they it was had, a little, they that had, sequence was a little yeah. they had introduced the concept of papercraft ikebana previously right and ikebana that yeah. solely existed as crafted paper uh yeah so which is a which is a is yeah, yeah it's just another so it's not too far removed thing, but yeah. it's also uh, it did seem a little disconnected to uh, to spend like two minutes on that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. With no narration whatsoever. <laughs> uh, probably that's probably the most Tashigahara scene in this when yes. you really yes. think about it. But yeah, but also not. Yeah, it it feels like something that might be happening uh, through the doctor's door in <laughs> face of right. another. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Instead of the woman's hair floating uh, in the water, yeah, there's just a there's just a person, there's a weird paper craft skull. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, that. yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I said, this one this one was uh, technically uh, interesting as well, just in the way it was shot in many many ways. Uh, certainly, certainly more so than Hokusai. Um, which... Well, yeah, Hokusai is just like. 
your classic like dude right. talking over top of right slow pan to the art. The, yeah, uh, I will say Hokusai's art is still beautiful in black and white. <laughs> so yes. yeah, yeah, uh, and still still impactful even without the color. Um, but yeah, to the point where I I, I can't if it, a weird phenomenon like I know it's in black and white, but I keep. Oh yeah, like you can I picture keep it in transposing the, in the color, the color the on stuff. top of it yeah. in my head. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, absolutely. Uh, and I love that while it didn't spend, Hokusai didn't spend a lot of time telling us about the ways in which woodblock art is made, but did show us frequently the yeah. layering. Um, I thought that was that was an effective use of time as well in in what is ultimately just an educational documentary <laughs> yeah it's just yeah it's totally just yeah it, it, it it's it's a good one like it's a good documentary it just is yeah. it, it's just it but it's very much like yeah you're walking through a museum and it's playing on a tv screen in that area of the museum or whatever kind of thing yeah. you know yeah chronologically that brings us to the one we probably have the most to say about oh my god uh, Tokyo 1958. Now, this is actually, uh, this film, which is only, it's what, like 28 minutes, I think? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, it is a collaboration of eight different filmmakers. Yes. Uh, Teshigahara among them, obviously. Uh, it is meant to be a sort of newsreel-style snapshot of, uh, of Tokyo in 1958. <laughs> um, I suppose to 1957. Uh, back a little bit, uh, but it is uh, it is a collaboration between eight different people, all Japanese directors, uh, mm. none of whom I am familiar with. I do not recognize a single name on this list. I can't uh, remember who's on, who's on the list. Sasuma so Hani, uh, Yoshiro Ko- uh, Kawazu, uh, Kashishira Kusakabe. Uh, let me just read a list of Japanese names. That seems like a good idea. Yeah, for, like you're not you're not really helping. I definitely yeah. read the list earlier and was yeah. like, I don't really know who these people are, but I I think they're part of his sort of cadre of like yeah. like minded individuals. If I had yeah. to take a guess, eh, probably. Um, they're all also all listed as editors, all listed as producers, all listed as writers. Uh, this really seems like a thing they decided to do amongst themselves right it's yes i think though that they're trying i like this is my it's very we we're in a really weird realm here okay yeah because we're talking about a fairly distant time period at this point uh and there seems to be something it seems to be very tongue-in-cheek yes it's definitely playful yeah it is playful but i i almost i think because it also has that weird over, like very racist over narration. <laughs> Are they trying? I what I'm trying to get to is, do you think this is supposed to be a parody of American newsreels about Japan? I think it ends as a parody of American newsreels as about Japan, and I think it morphs over the course of it because we start okay. with Japanese narration, <clears throat> and then. We get the sequence about uh, the uh, the emperor worship holiday, um, the the last god, uh, which is done with an American who does a very like mid century anthropological thing, and he it's trying to sound non judgmental as it also is. Right. Look at these weird foreigners, uh, and then we move on to we finish with the Christmas section, where the narration is sort of much more overtly sarcastic. I feel. Yes, I would uh, agree with that. And and I, it's one of the final lines, if not the final line, uh, using the Christmas stuff to say that Tokyo truly represents a uh, uh, coming together of the East and the West, uh, which is which is very much an American. <laughs> I think documentary. Oh yeah, no, totally. A western and, western documentary yes. thing much more than than uh Teshigahara would would say seriously and like I said I don't know the other seven collaborators here but I I cannot believe that 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 is made without tongue firmly in cheek. 
Right. Uh, yeah, I would agree. It, it's just a, it's a fascinating thing because I without it is interesting for us to watch a movie where we're provided with essentially no contextualization. <laughs> right. 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 We, we basically have no information to work Normally with. we at least have uh, some sort of Wikipedia page to contextualize yes, yeah. things for us. We have very, very little background information on what this is or what it's trying to be. Uh, there's what, a little bit of French I, in this one for some reason. It's yeah, very, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say this, though. I think the tongue-in-cheek is more obvious at the end because of you and me being who we are. That's I'm fair. pretty sure it's pretty well there, though. Like, when it, it talks about how industrious the Japanese people are. Right. Oh, they yeah. Even, it's, build their roads even the roads are hand. still made by hand. Yeah. It's, Which it's is, like, okay, it's like, still joking. I don't, I, I don't know for a fact. Uh but even if the roads are being built by hand in 1958, it's not because they want to build them by hand. <laughs> right. Okay? Like, it's not because, like, ah, our artisanal roads. Right. That we built. <laughs> like, no, like, if they're building it by hand, it's because it's the only fucking way to get the job done. Because uh, you guys didn't, there's not enough fucking machines to do it or some shit. Yeah. Like, it is a wild thing to show. So I think I think it's most intense at the end, but I think it's definitely... Uh, there throughout. Um, it, it it is. I mean, there's things in there that are more serious. Uh, it gets very. It's fascinating in the in the in the marriage section, where it turns into sort of a how to guide. Yes. For how to get married. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of fascinating. Um, what's what's interesting for me is even though it's tongue, it's it's mostly tongue in cheek. It is a fascinating look at even. Even when a thing is showing you something sarcastically, it's still showing you that thing, and it gives you some idea of what it's trying to make fun of, even. And uh, it's just interesting to see an image of moving images of like just sort of air quotes daily life in 1958 Tokyo yeah. is, is very fascinating for me on a personal level. Um, I I did enjoy, I enjoyed this immensely, despite its. <laughs> D- deeply racist overtones that are definitely there as a joke. Yeah. Um, my my favorite line in the entire thing that almost I was I was trying to figure out how to turn it into an intro and I just couldn't. Yeah. Was when in the transition from Christmas as a shopping season to Christmas as a going out and partying. Yeah. And like sex for sale kind of thing. Oh. Uh, it, it 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 makes this statement about how. Um, still others have used the Christian religion to, to, like, it makes this statement about, like, I can't, I, I, I didn't write it down, and I regret it deeply, uh, but it makes a statement to the effect of, like, uh, still, uh, still other, uh, you know, it's like celebrating Christmas, of which there are, some are quietly praying, of which there are a few, which is yeah, in and of itself a hilarious statement in a country that has a 1% Christian population. Right. Yeah, it is actually a few. Um especially in Tokyo, but um, uh, then but then it morphs it into, like, still others have found a way to profit off the Christian religion. That's what the phrase is. And then we and segue like, into uh, Shane Black's wet dream of a Christmas party. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. But what I, what's fascinating for me is, is, is that statement was funny to me just because the idea that Christmas in Japan has anything fucking to do at all with the Christian religion is right. hilarious. Uh, and it and is definitely a, I mean, it's definitely tongue in cheek joke stuff in the movie, but it's just a, it was a one of the funnier jokes is like right. one of the, a subtle one, but a, still one of the funnier things where it's like, yeah, this shit has nothing to do with with Christianity, okay? Like for right. real, what are you talking about? Uh, it's pretty good, and then it's just a bunch of people, yeah, Shane blacking around, right, uh, right, right, Google but- cages and such. But you're right to say it was it was always tongue in cheek from the start because you know yeah. what do we open on? We open on population growth stats, population stats in general, suicide rate stats, uh, in a side that it's mostly young people committing suicide, and then the stats on garbage produced. Uh, yeah, totally. And, <laughs> and 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 it and it's all like, and that's what I mean, like in the sense that it's like a parody of a newsreel in the right. sense that like that's the sort of shit that shows up in a newsreel. Right. Apropos but, of nothing. But, like who yeah, the but fuck strung, cares? Strung together like that is its own satirical thing. Too, oh yeah, right? totally. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and then like the makeup area where like very clearly is also like like crazy shit's happening that doesn't like this is never a makeup trend. What are you talking about? Like what? What the fuck is this image? I was trying to think. Like, I'm trying to think about exactly which one I was, which one it was. But there's this one image where it's very literally obviously meant to do to be a joke. Yeah. Like the lady announcing what the new trends are, right? Uh, oh yes. And there's this. I can't remember what it is. I'm trying to find it because I have I have it open right now. There's this just woman putting on a makeup in just the most obviously jokey way. <laughs> yeah. Like I can't remember exactly what it was, but like you look at it and you're like, that nobody like they, ever. Nobody they told ever her to do it exaggeratingly, like. Yeah, right? like oh yeah, like somebody in the making the video was like, okay, what's the weirdest yeah. fucking makeup you could put on, please? Um, so yeah, like no, <laughs> right. this, it's funny. I, I like this movie. I. You know, it's by exclusively Japanese directors, which is a nice tell that, like, all the super racist shit is supposed to be a joke. Right, right. Uh, and I'm not I'm not entirely certain, but the only the only credited actor in this, uh, and therefore I think the English narration, is done by Donald Ritchie, who, you know, we've had some experience with a sort of neo-Orientalism with Donald Ritchie, too, but he does actually respect Japanese culture, so... Right. I think he's in he's in on it. In cahoots, yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. I mean it's I mean you can just feel it. Like I mean it, Yeah, it's it it was a, it was an enjoyable watch. And right. and it's neat for like really honestly for me, it was really neat to have a t- this kind of jokey tongue and th- cheek thing still paired with like actual footage of a time period that like, right. I just right. don't get a ton of footage on. Right. It's uh, also a a real good snapshot of of Japanese of Tokyo culture at the time. Yeah. Um this is also uh Teshigahara at uh at like 26, I think. Or when did this one come out? He's about 30 here. 1958. Yeah, he's 31. Uh yeah. when this came out. So, you know, he's still young, he's still he hasn't he hasn't we're still 4 years before the first of the three major feature films that we just watched from him. So, right, you know. But he's yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun. It just... Oh, yeah. And that. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's fun. I wanted to bring up one more thing because they have the singing competition. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I really enjoyed it because this is still a thing that happens in Japan. I mean, like there are there are lots of singing competition TV shows, but there's a big one every year in New Year's uh, and some stuff like that. And it was what was fascinating for me is that like all the songs in this are uh, like Western hits. Yeah. Kind of thing. Uh, and then, like, I just was, and this is just for me, my own personal amusement was like, when you watch the the ones now, there's not a, there's borderline never uh, a American song in there now. Right. Right. Because it, I, it's just, it was just an interesting, I don't, it's like, it's not important. It's just a thing where I was like, oh, wow. Like, they described a singing competition and then they were all American songs, basically. I was like, oh, yeah. that's, that's interesting. And that seems fairly authentic for 1958 Japan, honestly. Now, some of those American songs were with Japanese lyrics. Yes, uh, that's a very that has been a normal practice. I really, in Japanese I really history. loved the guy uh, singing what was clearly an Elvis song with Elvis inflection in Japanese. I will yeah, say, no, <laughs> yeah, totally. But actually, if even now, when you the only when you watch those singing competitions, every so often somebody will perform the Japanese version. Yeah, of a classic American like uh, you know fifties, sixties, seventies rock song. Yeah, uh, that 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 practice of translating the lyrics and then superimposing them over the music is is gone by the wayside. But those those versions still exist of those you know of your your nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties American songs, and they're always really interesting to listen to because right. you're like, I know this song, but I have no idea what's going on right now. Right, right. Tokyo 1958 exists as a sort of parody of the documentaries. And uh, I love it. Tashigahara had already been making, too. Yeah, Yeah, totally. I I really do like it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And, and, you know, the the jokiness of it leads to and and feeds into the, the cosmopolitan nature of Tokyo. You wouldn't want to do a dry documentary about Tokyo in 1958. No, you wouldn't. And right. and that's I and my guess is my guess would be that if you were able to travel back in time, if you were able to Scorsese this, you would find out 
the the people who made this had seen a lot of very boring newsreel documentaries oh, I'm about sure. about Tokyo in nineteen fifties. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I I'm still watching the the handcrafted roads thing, and I can't get over it. It's just <laughs> killing me. Like just just like this idea of like I'm like flipping through it a little bit because it's it's too interesting and like. This like oh and you know workers in Tokyo today would be nearly indistinguishable from workers in Tokyo during the Edo era. It's like, and and it's just it's all just so right, right. so goofy. It's like also clearly the, a false claim, right? <laughs> so. a, a false claim, but also like a dude eating a sandwich in nineteen or fifteen hundred France would also look like a worker of today eating a sandwich. Like, of course. Right. A dude eating a sandwich is a fucking dude eating a sandwich. <laughs> what are you talking about? Right. It's so good. It's so good. Oh, but yeah, handcrafted roads. I can't get over the idea of artisanal roads. My brain just can't <laughs> get past it. Um, it's so good. It is such a it's such a fucking like newsreel documentary thing to say. I also love the inflection that our narrator gave uh, when describing the uh, the Liberal Democrat Party as Japanese most conservative party, uh, which is true, which is which accurate. is true and accurate, and and of course the the American Democrats in 1958 were uh, were on the brink of becoming the most conservative party, uh, swinging back. But the the use of the word liberal and democrat in that instance uh, is right. meant to be ironic. Um, yeah, there's definitely as, an inflection as as there. Ab- absolutely, <coughs> totally. As far as the filmmakers right. are concerned, the filmmakers it, are and it concerned. is it is a thing that is still funny to this right. day in right. Japan. That, right, and that's, they are that's still the most conservative party right. in Japan, right. pretty much. And in 1958, a conservative party uh, being described as liberal or democratic, because uh, a conservative party in 58 has to be uh, wanting to reinstall the the emperor, right? Is that or is that yeah, not I mean, accurate? The, li- the liberal deba- the, that there are wing like the, we can get into Japanese politics. Yeah. It's going to take forever. But like yes and no. Like they there are wings of that party uh-huh. uh, that would 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 want to do that. Ultra nationalists to this day want to re like the emperor st- is still there. It, it's more like kind of verges on emperor worship and that sort of stuff. Uh, but mostly. To this day, the the Liberal Democratic Party is famous for having large portions of it that would like to rewrite the Constitution again, like right. today. Right. That's kind of their. But they're also keep in mind they've been in party in power. Various elements of them have been in power since since this time period, almost continuously. Uh, and things, you know, it's. Japanese politics, comparing Japanese politics and American politics is almost impossible. Of course. Because, like, somehow in that mess got fucking universal health care, kind of. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's just, it's the comparison, it's it's always apples and oranges. But, yeah, they they're, they have a funny name because they are not, they are neither liberal. They're definitely not, they're liberal in the way that, like, we live in a liberal democracy. In right. the sense that some people are allowed to vote sometimes, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> no definition of the word liberal accurately describes that, though. So, <laughs> right. no, I just you know every every so often like you see that 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 um, every so often you see Twitter lose its mind when like. Or well, I guess conservative Twitter Twitter loses its mind when like the word liberal is used in the way that like it can be used for like sort of higher level political discussion in the right. sense that like no matter how conservative it is, it is still a liberal democracy. Yeah. In this, it's like, yeah, no, I'm yeah, it's just the internet. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Uh so the last one. Yes. Is a uh, it's called Akko. Uh, yes, named for its main character. Uh, has been released under uh, the title um, White Morning as well. From well, 19- I mean, yeah, I'm is that I a translation that of the name? No, well, I, I don't know because they don't have the jet, like, it could be a lot of different names, like, okay, like. I only find references to it, like official references to it, referred to as White Morning, even in Japanese. Huh. Interesting. Like, <clears throat> the name, the, yeah, so I'm a little confused. Like, even on his official filmography, it is listed as 
in Japanese, or both in Japanese and English, as White Morning. If I may, if I may speculate, I would say probably when it's released by itself, it has been called White Morning. Right. Uh, it originally existed as part of an anthology in which right. different world directors were asked to make films about teenagers right. in their society. So I'm betting each of those, uh, each of those individual sections of the film. Have a different name or something. Were titled yeah. by the main person in its name. Yeah, uh, it's it's just you know, but it's one of those things where it's really yeah. going to be hard to, yeah. to piece that in all fact, together. I'm, I'm looking at a poster now that is her face and says "Ako, sixteen ans Japonais," which is to say in French, sixteen year old Japanese, uh, and that the director right. is Tachigahara. Is all of the information on that? So I'm betting, I'm betting within, uh, within the original Canadian production release, it was just known as Akko, and then widely, more widely, it was known as uh, as White Morning. But I can't, uh, I can't say for sure. Um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, we'll probably never re- yeah. like. I think that's a reasonable explanation for the situation. It's just. Really hard to know. <laughs> okay, um, IMDb claims that Akko is the original title, but I don't know. Like again, yeah. what does IMDb fucking know? So I don't <laughs> right, know. Right, right. Uh, this is the uh, the only narrative out of uh, the four we're talking about today. Uh, this is the one that was made sort of concurrently to the other three films, uh, to the the three main films in the box set. Um. So sort of more reflective of what he was doing at the time. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's meant to be documentarian. I don't. I think it's much. I I think it's like you know your classic sort of like I want to tell a soul a story about that feels authentic to the time and the place, right? Like we're not making a documentary, but you want to be authentic. You know what I mean? You're trying to yeah. show people what life for a 16 year old at this time is like, you know what I mean? So you're trying to be authentic. Yeah. But you're not, it's not a true story or right. anything like that. Yeah. As far as I can tell, like, I mean, it could be, but like, Right. It, I, it doesn't feel that way. It, it doesn't have that feeling to it. Yeah. Uh, this is also... It feels very narrative. It's narrative, but it's also sort of experimental, right? A lot of mm-hmm. a lot of the talking we're hearing is not tied to actions taking place, right? We're not seeing... No, yeah, no, talk, it's... Well, but yeah, it's also sure. not necessarily narrative uh, talking either. It's not... Right. Not always. Right. It's like a weird sort of overdubbing where they're like... Yeah. I, yeah and I've seen that... I don't. I can't place it, but I've definitely seen that form of filmmaking before. I, like, <laughs> it is. I mean, I know you see it all the time, but like, it is indicative it, it of a lot of, of stereotypes about uh, European art, new wave films through this right. same time period. Yeah, I guess so. I just I feel like it. It, it it's doing that thing where you know where you like you get that f- feeling like. It's almost there, like you almost know what you're thinking of, but you can't place it. I don't know. It it reminds me of something I feel like we've watched. It's very specifically like a, and I understand new way, but like not every new way film has this in it, right? Like right. as a thing, it reminds me of a film we watched, and I just don't know which one it is. Uh, we've watched a lot, yeah. As it turns out, we have watched a lot of movies. It's true. Uh Particularly if we count short films as separate movies, because then yeah. we're like, I think into the five hundred uh, yeah, range we're just for this, this fucking shit. Yeah, yeah, like it's bad. Yeah, uh, <laughs> indeed. Uh, but yeah, this uh, as a snapshot of teenage life in nineteen sixties Japan. Uh, it's interesting in that regard. Um, I uh, I like how how quickly it sort of cuts, even as it seems to take place over 24 hours uh but time is compressed and stretched out and and mixed around right so right. it's not it's not real clear 
that this is meant to be one day. Um, yeah, in and that I regard, don't think, the opening, I don't, I'm not sure that it is. I think right. it's supposed to be representative of her normal life. Right, right. You know, the opening narration about her waking up, um, and uh, I think she talks about dreams as she as she wakes up and morning dreams being prophetic, and and. Uh, but uh, it's uh, there's a sort of dream logic to what we're watching too. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I mean, yeah, because again, time doesn't flow flow smoothly. We jump to nighttime sometimes, and then it feels like it's back in the middle of the day a little bit, and and some some of that stuff, if memory serves. Um, yeah. But also, I would say that, like, again, I think that plays into the part where. Its goal is less to make you see. It's like it's not a documentary of a real woman's like young woman's life. It's a yeah. like this was what it's like to be sixteen year old, sixteen years old in whatever year this was in Japan, right? In a big city, like you know what I mean? Uh, what 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 year was this made? Sixty three, sixty five, yeah. Or oh, now I'm not so sure. <laughs> well, yeah, it's hard to tell because I think the uh, the. The Akko release might be 1963, and the uh, right. the, the white white mornings might be 65 as a wider release. Yeah. So, like, either way, I mean, I think that sort of again, it, you you definitely get a different version of um, Tishikahara, like trying to be a little bit. He's much more in tune with that sort of experimental element of his filmmaking at this point. Um. So you get, but it, I mean, it does a good job. You feel like it does a decent job of making you kind of understand what it's like to be a 16 year old girl at yeah. this time without like just walking you through her day. Right. Like from beginning to end, like 8 a.m. to whatever, 1 a.m. 1 a.m. or whatever. Like it, it, it's interesting that way because like we get some moments of, of sort of intense moments that are feel very authentic. Um, right. It, 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 some very intense I mean, moments she, too. Yeah. Uh, we get we get a moment where uh, uh, the car breaks down and and the boy um, gets kind of sexually aggressive. Uh, yeah, and that's and that would be that yeah. fucking definitely checks out, right? Like that's very authentic, right? Right. Um, and and I find that as a fascinating thing to put in this movie, right? Like, right. You, I, I don't know what the other movies in this set were like, um, but I, I would assume that they're all of a piece in the sense that they're probably all by directors who want to show that sort of authenticity and things like that. Yeah. Um, and But, it, again, that's not a thing you see in a lot of these kind of movies in the sense that, like, like I want to describe what a normal like young woman's life is like. I'm going to definitely include the element of her life, which is the constant sort of ever-present threat of sexual violence, right? Right. Like as a is as a director is a is a choice, right? Like, yeah. um, that is an interesting one, um, right? And uh, as a uh, male director in mid-century Japan is a uh, an interesting thing to include. Uh, because it, you know, it implies social critique in in what you're saying. Yeah, it absolutely does. But yeah, for sure. And I like, don't. It, it, it could be a reactionary look at the youngs um, social critique. I don't. Too, I don't. But yeah, I don't think, but I, feel I don't like get that feeling we, from the way Chichihara. we look at at our main character is so. It doesn't ever. Tr- I feel like something that was trying to be negative would try to imply that it's her fault in some way. Yeah, and this doesn't do that at all. You know what I mean? Like, it seems very much concerned about how, you know, we get a lot of fairly intense emotion from her that, uh, in that portion that, like, feels very, very well, well done. Um, I mean, I don't have any, literally any information about the film. I literally don't even know who that actress is. (laughs) Right. Uh, we never will. Um, but, like, it's, it's interesting just because it, it real you get a lot of emotion. Um, yeah. And it doesn't. It is very clearly critiquing his behavior. Yeah. Oh yeah. And absolutely. I think that's that's an important element of. And I don't think it's from a look at the youngs perspective, because like, 
I don't feel like the rest of the film is judgmental about the way they're all sort of behaving together. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I I I think for, you know this is based just solely on what we got because again, really, sans context, right? Like he, it feels like he wants to convey that lifestyle without generally without judgment. It's just a way people live. This is the way 16-year-olds live right now. Do you want to... Can I introduce something to you that uh, may retroactively uh, change a conversation sure. we could please, have had last please week? Please ruin my view. Please. No. Aiko uh, is played by an actress named Mickey Iri, uh, okay. who is the woman who played the scarred woman in the B-plot of The Face of Another interesting i couldn't tell that was the same person right fascinating right right how did you find that out uh she's listed on imdb movie her her credit she's credited on imdb as akko oh okay there i see it i i did not really you had it scrolled down far enough (laughs) i don't pay attention to imdb at all yeah um oh interesting you know i just in in looking at thinking about outside film here um I just realized Tokyo Story came out in 1953. So how much of Tokyo 1958 is also sort of response to um, the popular I mean, international popularity it, of Tokyo Story too? It could be. Well, my guess is like, see, that's a thing we don't get into very often. Yeah. How much in general is the is the Japanese new wave a response, a response to essentially just Ozu? <laughs> like, yes. Yes. You know what I mean? Like. Th- Tokyo Story and those those movies are so caught up in 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 big scare quotes Japan, like and they're good movies. I mean they they are like we 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 talked about them. There, there's a they they talk about they have really interesting perspectives on the occupation, uh, in really subtle ways. There's a lot of but like yeah maybe. But I wonder if like think about like um, you know some of the other directors from this time period we've watched and, and how how radically different they are from from Ozu or somebody like right, that. Right, right. Like, yeah, I mean, this could be, but, like, I wonder if almost everything everybody's doing at, that, at this time <laughs> is, to a certain extent, just trying to be not that. Yeah. And that's what the new wave is elsewhere, too, right, is a response to that, but other countries' version of that. Right. Um, the the difference being is that I would I would say that because of the way Japan fell in time, I think maybe some of that is a little bit hyper accelerated. Yeah, because of the war and stuff like that. Like the other places went through a very very different experiences to get to that point. Um. Uh, and and had sort of maybe different outcomes. Yeah, like you know, new wave as much as it means anything, right? Uh, it's just sort of a response to what came before, right? So, ooh, uh, uh, uh oh. I have Uh-oh. just learned that the uh, the Canadian Film Board Commission video uh, that this is originally part of is uh, <laughs> is called in French uh, Le Fleur. Delegu uh ole adolescentes. Uh, well yeah, which, I saw that. I just can't which, read French. So uh in in English, uh the uh the fairest translation would be the flower of age or adolescent girls. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I okay, I kinda thought that's what it was. Yeah. Um but here's the thing. I don't legitimately think that Teshigahara gave a shit. <laughs> no, no, almost certainly <laughs> like, not. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> no, I am, I am reacting movie... purely to the Canadian film yeah, board yeah, releasing no, I, it I as agree. that. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, does that mean... Yeah. I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. Like, this is not my problem. Um, <laughs> not my problem uh, to deal with. Yeah. Um, but then again, like, you know, that sort of weird flowery language doesn't necessarily have to be perverted. Yeah. It could just be super French. I don't know. I don't have a grounding for that. Yeah. Also, it sounds also, perverted, but it doesn't have to be, I suppose. Interesting to conversation we've had in the past about uh 
French Orientalism, uh, the other segments are uh, uh, about France, uh, Italy, uh, Canada, and then Japan. Those are yeah, the four uh, segments. You, we you had. love to see it, right? Yeah. Like you, you love, you gotta love that. Like, and then we just tossed in Japan. Yeah, <laughs> here it is, a bunch of the you know Western countries, and here's Japan. Like, um, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, trying to express to them just how intensely weird France's relationship with Japan is and has been. Yeah. And I failed to convey it because it is so um uh, a thing. You know? And, you know, I guess this is sort of just another version of that, right? Like to a certain extent, right? That we've talked about Orientalism, but also that sort of like almost sort of abs- uh, uh, in addition to the orientalism the sort of strange obsession yeah like the, like there's a one thing to other somebody or another group of people but then to also be obsessed with the people you're othering right uh is a is i don't know i don't even know there's i'm sure there are books out there about this i've never read them but i'm sure there are yeah yeah uh Mid French, mid century France. It is not unique yeah. to mid century France either, so I can't. <laughs> but no, but like you but know, we've we, seen a lot of examples of it because so the Criterion Collection draws like so much from nineteen sixties France. So yeah, and then and this is just an element of that time period and, yeah. and that that art, and and we've watched movies of this time period from other countries that just don't so intensely fo- don't don't mention Japan or certainly don't focus on it so or even any other country so intensely. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we've watched plenty of, you know, 50s, 60s movies from other countries that don't do this, don't have this weird intense focus on any other country other than the country they're in and making their movies about. Yes. It's it is a weird to have a a, a film set is France, Italy, Canada and Japan and Japan right like boy I don't know it's saying something I don't I don't want to des- I definitely don't want to try to unpack that too hard I, but France obviously had issues with the rest of Southeast Asia as well mainland Southeast Asia mm-hmm. um yep. but but I think Japan within French culture American culture uh is is often seen as a sort of safe foreigner. Uh in that Oh yeah, I mean that's in that we, it is can... it is different, but particularly after the war it is not really different. So well, but even even prior to the war, like keep in mind this French obsession with uh Japan dates that predates the war. Oh, certainly. Pretty yes. substantially. Um and so and America had a similar obsession uh, if you look right. at sort of uh pop art in the late you know, the early 1900s in, in the United States, there's a lot of pop art featuring Japanese image, imagery. Um, but uh, there's a there's a famous phrase, I don't remember where I, um, like, I, I forget the exact phrase, and I've definitely encountered it more than once, but basically the idea was the idea that, um, the, the, the basic sentiment was the only Western Asian nation. Yeah. Uh, as expressed by by a sort of this weird sort of mirror effect between Japan and 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 the and Western countries, where that's what Westerners said about Japan, that's the way Japan started to view it or tried to view itself was as somehow different from the rest of Asia, like somehow in the in the in the hierarchy of races, which was definitely a thing that came up, right, sitting somewhere below the West but somewhere above the rest of Asia, and. To the, to the extent that that creates a sort of safe space, right? Like to engage with Asia, but without feeling like you're engaging with some, you know, like, and then all the phrasing after that gets really barbaric and gross, like really nasty phrasing, right? Like you're, that requires you to have this view of, of a hierarchy of human societies, right? That I don't love to dig into, but, um, 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah Japan is a sort of safe space where right. you can, it's, it's other enough without being dangerous. Right. Right. Without like getting your art burned and thrown out of the fucking gallery or whatever. Right. 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 To a certain extent. Also without any worries of, uh, murder, uh, if you were to visit. So, well, I mean, or, uh, well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's well, right. I mean, and, and some of this is this, again, there's this, there's this, there's this qu- crazy sort of synergy effect that happens in sort of the history of Japan, right? Like by not being a, co- a colonized nation, not having a any explicit hatred for any of the Western powers in the same way that previously colonized countries would have towards their colonizers, right? Like it's it's a really that that interplay is fascinating and goes far beyond the scope of this little movie. Right, right, right. right. Uh, uh, in which Teshigahara clearly does not give a shit what the French or the, the Canadian film board wants. If I'm being yeah. honest. <laughs> yes. Unless I, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess we, we don't know. I mean, that it is the year it is when this movie is made. It is 1963 or 65. Like, it's possible that that French or that uh, French Canadian film board or whatever is hunting for very new wavy shit, you know. And yeah, he did he had made Woman of the Dunes not that long before that? That is fair. Um, it is possible they called him up specifically to make some right, some crazy shit, you know, to really like. I would be interested in watching. What they got. If if the, the other the other three are as experimental as this one is, yeah, that would be an interesting thing to know. I agree, yeah. but but we never will. No, <laughs> that will not happen. I don't even know how to access that I, thing, and I'm not. Actually, I don't no, it really could... want to type that phrase into Google to try to find that. Uh, like, I think actually, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it would be pretty easy because I'm pretty sure the Film Board of Canada. Uh, lists all of their stuff like online i could be i could be wrong on that um but i mean yeah i'm I'm looking at like i i I did it i bit the bullet i typed that shit into google (laughs) um and let's see here well we've definitely got the film the whole film structure came out in 1964 the like the whole the whole piece yeah came out in 1964 it's weird because directors uh Gian uh, Vittorio Baldi, Michael Braut. Let's see here. But like it only connects back to it, essentially only feeds back into Teshigahara like, because that's all the like the sort of recommendations. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's the only name on that list that like triggers IMDb's shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong on the Film Board of Canada having most of their stuff online too. I for some reason I thought that was true, but I could be wrong. Uh well now now I'm fascinated. Um I I now I'm I'm pretty curious. I don't know if I'm curious enough to watch this, but I'm pretty curious now. Cause I kinda wanna know the answer to that question. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a thing that seems like I might want to actually know the final answer to that. Yeah. Um Let's see here. There's there are there are three thousand films Cine France. from the National Film Board of Canada streaming for free online. I don't know if that includes what we're talking about, but uh, I mean, there seems to be streaming versions of this out there. But I, I mean, I, a lot of them seem like the internet tricking me <laughs> rather than me actually getting to watch. Uh, the movie. So, oh well, I'm gonna have to give up on this. I think. Um, going anywhere? Yeah, I think if we if we knew the names of the other films, we might be able to find them because oh, the I, film board, I do know the names of yeah. the other films because if you type in the thing, so the film board you, of Canada does have Akko, uh listed separately and streaming on their website, uh, but. Uh, if you go, if you type in that, you can get an IMD page, IMDb page for the entire film, bo- like that whole film. 
Yeah. And it has the individual segments. Uh, Baldi directed Fiametta. Uh, Raut directed Genevieve. Rausch d- directed Marie France et Veronique. And oh. well, interesting. directed Akol. Genevieve, at least, is not uh, is not on the film board website, and neither is at least under that name, and neither is Marie uh, anything. Well, those are what the so. segments are called, apparently. Yeah. So it seems like you were right uh, about that particular element: is that each film, each segment had it was named for the woman. Yeah. Uh, featured. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so this we week we did it. We solved the we, we solved, solved it. the riddle. This week we solved the riddle. We've won the Sphinx's treasure. And uh, <laughs> from here on out, Pat will always lie and I will always tell the truth, but you won't know which <laughs> yes. one of us is Pat and which one of us is me. Uh, I don't, I messed that one up. Wait, bad. what? That's, I, I like it. I like where this is headed because it's, it's a very confusing version of that thing. <laughs> where one of us, you, we won't know which one of us lies and which one of them is Adam. <laughs> yes. Big fan, big fan of that, that plan. This week, we've been finishing up the box set of three films by Hiroshi Teshigahara with uh, four short films also included on the DVD box set uh, from 1953 to 1963, 65, depending on uh, when you, what you count. Um, next week, we will be doing Billy Wilder's Ace in the Hole from 1951. Look forward to that and look forward to seeing you again then. Thank you once again for listening to Lost Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Horatari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Hosted by John Patrick Oatari Gorgon and the Adam Class, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. We'd appreciate it.